Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Okay, uh, continuing on here in this beautiful manifesto for living the Christian life, this book of Romans, uh, we are, I think, week five or so in moving forward in this, and it just is an incredible book. You can just, yeah, you know, if you were on a deserted island, you only had one book of the Bible, the book of Romans, you'd be okay. There's a lot you can gain from this in, in how to live and how to treat one another and what to believe and how to think. And so Paul continues on with this. We're diving into chapter nine and chapter 10 today, and I'll be reading a lot as well. Um, that's how I'm doing this week is also is we're just going to be going verse by verse, and then we'll talk a little bit along the way. So let's start with verse 1 of chapter 9. And Lord, we just ask for your help as we read your beautiful word. I ask that it would, um, by your spirit, expand and expound in it inside of us and draw us to yourself, bring tweaking and conviction and beauty and revelation to us as we read what you say. And Lord, thank you again for your servant, for Paul, in this letter sent to the Romans. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse 1. I'm reading this in the New American Standard. Uh, I may use a couple of other along the way, but typically that's what I'm using for today. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow an unceasing grief in my heart. Here's a man acquainted. Jesus says Jesus was acquainted with sorrow, was prophesied about him. And Paul is saying, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief. And what is about, verse 3, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brother. And he's speaking of the Jews around the world who were not following Jesus as he is. And he is saying, I mean, I've never heard anybody love someone so much that they would rather be accursed themselves that others could be saved and, and believe. That's an amazing statement that Paul makes right there. For the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants that were given to them, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is overall God-blessed forever. Amen. As a Jew himself, he can identify. He was once like them, where he did not believe. In fact, he not only didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, he was harming and doing harm to followers of Jesus, thinking he was doing a good thing for God. And so he, he carries this incredible compassion because he sees himself in them and wants them to know him and to be converted and found by, by Jesus and in his love. Verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. That's not why we're at the place we're at, he's saying. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. That's interesting. He starts to, from the previous chapters here, he's starting to shift a little bit in this letter and explaining some things related to natural Israel and spiritual Israel, of which 
All of us are a part. And he's saying not everyone who is basically born Jewish or born an Israelite is an Israelite, but there's a spiritual component that God has made available, which he's going to expound on here. Verse 7, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants shall be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise as are regarded as descendants. Of course, that was Isaac. He was a child of the promise. His life was prophesied by God before he was ever conceived. He was a child of the promise. There was an element of faith there. And of course, Abraham, known as the father of faith, as he believed. And Romans 4 talks about that. Verse 9, For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Verse 14, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, so he says, uses three examples here about God's mercy and what he chooses to do. He says here, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Of course, that's found in Exodus 9. So then, God has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. So that can sound a little tricky there, that uh, God is just arbitrarily softening people's hearts, showing mercy to some, and hardening people's hearts, and being maybe difficult with to some. But you know, when you read the whole of the scriptures, and even when it comes to Pharaoh and others, you find that God identifies what was already in their hearts and what they were doing and what they were believing or what they were wanting. And it's got like God will add extra to that. Like if there's a hardness toward God already, in Pharaoh's case, you see that God then hardened it even more where there is softness and there is a desire and a seeking after God throughout the scriptures for any person, you see the mercies of God going toward them. And you see God even drawing them even more and saying, call to me and I will answer you. I'm going to tell you even more things. So there is not just uh, God creating robots. He never has done that. From the Garden of Eden all the way through, there is these, these elements in the heart that God is doing and working, and he's using people who have hard hearts to do certain things for him. He says of Nebuchadnezzar, he calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Amazing. But he used Nebuchadnezzar in judgment against Israel, the nation who had uh, basically divorced themselves from God and had gone after idols and sacrificed their children and all those things. So God is using those even with the hard hearts. It's uh, He is God. Verse 19. You will say to me, then why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, 
Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Of course, there's a He's talking about some of what Jeremiah in God's conversation was in the book of Jeremiah. Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Verse 23, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles, which is profound. And he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who is not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Thank you, God. That's where all of us get in on that. If you are not Jewish, here's one of the places that God is speaking and prophesying that there would be an open door for all to know him and to be called his sons and daughters and have eternal life. Verse 27, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant, a much smaller number, that will be saved. Saved from God's judgment, saved eternally. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. Faith is a big deal. Faith is a big deal. It's not just natural-born inheritance. Everything we get in God, we get by faith. The just live by faith. Faith, even in the Old Testament, God is looking for faith all the way through. But as though it were by works is what they were trying to do. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Who's the stumbling stone? Jesus is the stumbling stone. He's still the stumbling stone today for the Jewish people and many other people. When they look at Jesus, they reject him. Because it's a completely different pathway of your own works and your own effort in eking something out where you have to trust and believe in the one who did it all for us. It's an amazing thing. But it takes faith to do that. It takes humility to do that. And it might not seem right or fair. It's not fair. What Jesus has done for us is not fair. He has unfairly been generous to us. Unfairly lavished on us his goodness and greatness and love and kindness and forgiveness, his blood. But in God's economy, in the way that he is, completely fair because he, it's the way that he is. He's that good. He's that benevolent. Behold, I, as it is written, verse 33, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will not be disappointed, especially 
well, throughout life, but especially on that day when we see him face to face. You may have heard me say many times, I'm already prepared for what, if I'm asked the question on my day standing before the Lord, uh, every one of us are going to have this. You realize that, right? Every single one of us will stand before the Lord individually. No parents there, no spouse there, no preacher there, us and God. If, If the question is asked, why should you live eternally? I'm saying, where's Jesus? He's the reason. He is the sole reason. I'm not pulling out a laundry list of anything. I'm not pulling out a list of anything I've done on the earth. Zero. It's Jesus, right? He is the reason. It's his righteousness, my faith in him, your faith in him, eternal life. Isn't that incredible? Now, we might get asked other questions. I don't know, I don't know what the answers are going to be to those yet. I just know this one. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. And our daily belief in him will alleviate disappointment as we trust him. Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of your faith. You won't be disappointed. Take your eyes off of him, you will be disappointed. Put your eyes on a person, elevate a person, put your eyes on, any, on a government, on a system, on a political party, guess what? You're going to be fully disappointed. Doesn't matter what it is. Put your eyes on Jesus, you will not be disappointed. Thank you, Lord. Let's go to chapter 10, verse 1. Paul continues, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for them. It's just like verse 1 of chapter 9. It's for their salvation. He wants those brethren of his to know Jesus. Verse 2, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Now he's speaking personally, because he had that same zeal. Verse 3, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ, this is a beautiful one to underline if you haven't done this in your Bible already, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end of the law for righteousness. When it comes to righteousness... Not talking about doing away with the moral code in the law, but it, when it comes to righteousness, Jesus is the end of that. He fulfilled it, and it says in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I have, I'm going to fulfill the law, which he did. It goes along with 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, He, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I love that. That is a beautiful verse. He made him who knew no sin to become sin, and that I would become the righteousness of God in him. So powerful. Verse 5, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness, their own. That's not going to go very far. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows, the righteousness based on faith. We all need active faith. That's where our righteousness is, in Jesus, trusting in him, looking to him, 
receiving from him, trusting him with all. It's The righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. In other words, my righteousness going up to heaven and uh, trying to talk Jesus into coming down. No, I can't do that. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, who will, excuse me, ascend into heaven, and who will descend into the abyss or go to hell. My righteousness isn't go down to hell and try and get Jesus out of there to talk him into doing anything. I'm not bringing him up. I'm not bringing him down. He did it before I ever knew I needed anything. My righteousness doesn't get him to do anything. He paid for me. He paid for you. It's his righteousness I'm standing in. By what does it say, verse 8, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Verse 9, we all know this one. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is um, confounding and mind-blowing and offensive to those trying to gain their own righteousness by their works, by their efforts. This is so beautiful. It's so, it requires humility. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Let's all say that. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Something about not only believing on the inside, but speaking it, being able to verbalize what I believe has a power in that as well. You know, it says that there will be a day where God will be ashamed of those who are ashamed of him. Right? But if I'm not ashamed of him, and I can say Jesus is Lord, not just in a church building, but wherever I am, he is not ashamed of me. He's not ashamed of us. Verbalizing what is in the heart is an important thing. It says it results in salvation. It's powerful. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Jews and Gentiles alike, any person on the planet, doesn't matter your heritage, your upbringing, where you came from, what you've done, everyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches. Not the world's kind of riches. He has those too, but that's not the most important abounding in riches for all who call upon him. There's that humility as well. Calling upon him. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Lord. I can't do this on my own. I'm I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I've not figured this out. I need you, everyone who calls upon him, who and whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. The door is wide open for anyone to call upon his name. It's beautiful clarity that Paul gives here in sharing that this door is now open to every person. Verse 14, how then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him 
whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher, someone to declare, to share? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So he explains this difference. He explains the openness of heaven to anyone who calls upon his name, Jews and Gentiles alike. And then he also puts some responsibility on all those who've called upon his name. That it's not just that everybody has to figure this out on their own or maybe have an experience like he had when Jesus came personally, but he's saying, how are people going to believe unless they hear us say things? Unless they hear us share? Unless they see our lives and how we live our lives and how beautiful are the feet of those who do this? I was sent a picture this morning of... Um, from our missionary friend who comes here that I can't repeat her name, uh, but you all know who I'm talking about, of pictures of the missionaries that she has out in the field, and they're all pictures of their feet. And they're bloodied, bloodied feet as they have been carrying food for the believers and going out to preach, and they're trying to heal their feet up. They've been bloodied as they are bringing good news. And I, I, when I read this today... How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. People who are giving their lives to share with others and to give life to others. And we get to do that. Janet, can you come on up? This is Janet. She is a prayer warrior. Something happened with her over the last 10 days or so. And I wanted her to share this. It goes along with what we're talking about. It's like lockstep in what you just said. I'm going to talk real quick because I want to cram a lot in. Um, a little backstory: we sold our house about a year and a half ago, and we bought a little duplex in, in Bermuda Run. And the people that are on the other side, Don and Becky Smith, um, Becky's sister, owned the house that we purchased. So we felt a really close connection to them very early. And um, Don, for six years, he's 80, almost 82, six years has been doing dialysis three days a week. And Recently, and so we help as much as we can with them. Recently, Don, um, I noticed he's going downhill. And so um, last week, he made the decision on Tuesday that he was going to stop dialysis. And Don has told me, since I know him, he said, Janet, when I'm done and I stop, I'm going to die in three days. I thought it would be a little longer, but I knew when he quit dialysis, he was going to die. So... <clears throat> Becky came and told me, um, Don's decided he's, he's going to stop. So tomorrow we're going to sign up for hospice. And this was on last Tuesday. And so on Wednesday, and I, and I said to her, Becky, I need to know that Don understands what's going to happen after that. And so she said, well, we've talked about it. And he says it's 50-50. And that bothered me a lot. So I, I had the prayer team. We prayed. And on Wednesday, um, uh, his daughter came over to my home to thank me just for loving her dad, which was very easy to do. And so um, <clears throat> I said to her, I said, Dawn, her name was Dawn, 
really hard to say those two names together. But we need to know, your dad needs to know, I need to know that your dad knows Jesus, that he knows he's going to heaven. She said, well, we've been talking about it. And he says it's 50-50. And I told him, my God is not a vengeful God. And I said, no, he's not, but he's a righteous God and he's a just God mm. and he needs Jesus. She said, well, I think you need to tell him that. So um, Wednesday night, I didn't sleep well. And normally I go to the gym and that's what I do and what I've done my whole life. And I, I called my friend, I texted my friend at three o'clock in the morning. I said, Tina, I'm not coming. And I wish I could say the Holy Spirit told me to do that. And probably he did, but I didn't realize it as that. And I should have asked. I don't know where Beth is. She said, Janet, when you get that, we, we should ask. Holy Spirit, are you trying to tell me something? But I didn't go. And I knew the second I went outside on Thursday morning why I didn't go, because Becky came out. And I'd gone over several times and helped her get Don up off the floor when he kind of fell and couldn't get back up. But Thursday morning, he fell hard. And he was in the hallway, and it was a hard floor. And I went over, and... Um, I knew almost immediately he probably broke his hip. He, he, he was in a lot of pain. So Becky went to call hospice to see what's the protocol, what do we do? I said, Becky, we're going to need EMS to come help us get him up. And um, so she went off to call. And I sat down on the floor with Don and tried to get him comfortable and was just chatting with him. But I said, Don, what happens next? And he looked at me, and he, he thought I meant in the moment. And he was going on about what they were going to do, whether they were going to take him to the hospital or not. I said, no, Don, what happens next after you take your last breath? And he said to me, well, I don't know. I think it's 50-50. And I said, Don, that's not good enough. you got to know 100%. And I started sharing with him. I said, Don, it doesn't matter, good or bad, what you've done for 86 years or 82 years. It doesn't matter. Um, it could be 99%. That's not good enough. We're sinners. I said, God, Don, do you believe in God? And he says, yes. I said, and, and I don't know what his church background was. I said, do you believe in Jesus? He said, yes. I said, well, do you believe Jesus died on the cross? And he said, well, yes, I do. I said, Don, he died on the cross for you, and he died on the cross for me. Do you believe he died and was buried? And, and rose on the third day, and he said, yes. I said, do you believe in, in your heart, Don? I about beat his chest off, poor fellow. It didn't matter. His heart was broken. I was beating him on the chest. I said, do you believe in your heart? And he said, yes. I said, the Bible says what you just read. If you believe in your heart and you, and you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. You just confessed with your mouth to me. Do you believe in your heart? And again, with his chest. And he said, yes. I said, Don. When you take your last breath, you're going to stand before God, and it's going to be okay, not because of your 50%, but because he died for you. And so this is the best part. They took him to the hospice house, and, and I, the family came, and I slipped out, and I knew I would never speak to Don again. And um, they took him to the hospice house, and um, that, was, that was Thursday evening, and Friday, late Friday night, Don went to be with the Lord. But before he went, he looked at his daughter and his wife. And I, I went Saturday morning and took a hot meal for them to have, and they were preparing for his service. And um, Becky slipped in the kitchen, and she said, Janet, 
We'll talk later, but I want you to know that Dawn, his daughter, heard her dad look at her and say, you know what? I'm excited for what's next. Mm. And so Dawn is rejoicing in heaven. And I told him, I said, Dawn, you be up there looking for me, and I'm coming, and I'll bring Becky with me. (laughs) And so I hope you all meet Becky, but it just is lockstep. And God did that, not just for Dawn, but for me, because we need to know that when we take our last breath, it's not 50-50, because 50-50 is not enough. 99 is not enough. We have to know. Yeah. And that was the opportunity that God gave me sitting on the floor next to Don Smith. So when you get to heaven, I'll introduce you to Don Smith. Awesome. Stay here for a second. So, thank you, Lord. Amen. And that is what Paul's talking about here. How is, how are they going to know unless someone is sharing? How can they receive him unless someone tells this very thing that she said to them? And there are people all in our lives, work, neighbors, across the street, where the Spirit of God might just draw you to, you've never even seen before, you don't even know, and you're to say these words, that can happen to every single one of us. We are, as the Bible says, we are his ambassadors for heaven. We're heaven's ambassadors here on the planet to share this life and to share what God has done for us and what the righteousness of Jesus gets to, can be ours. We'll receive him. I wanted to, as we close today, for Janet to pray for us, that we would be open and that we would be receptive and would be sensitive to the Spirit of God to take those steps. It always takes courage. It always takes courage. It takes humility to receive him. It takes courage to step out and give him away. And that we would have the courage to do that. Those who are dying, everyone is dying. Right? Every single person is dying. Some are going to pass away sooner than others. But they all need him. And just as Paul's heart was for his people, he had this huge heart for his people. I so wish for their salvation. We want that same heart for those that are our people in this country and around the world that they would know him. Janet, would you pray for us? And for Don, we had a heads up that he was going. But the Bible says that salvation is for today. Yesterday doesn't matter, and tomorrow may not be here. So today, Lord, I just pray that each one of us would say yes, that we believe in our heart, Lord, and that we would be willing to confess with our mouth that you are Lord. We are so grateful, Lord for what you've given us and what you do for us every day. And I just pray, Father, if there's anyone here that might say, I'm 50-50, that before they leave this place, Lord, that they would know, that they would confess with their mouth, Lord, not some big special religious prayer, Lord, but they would just say, yes, Lord, I believe, and I will say with my mouth. And we just thank you, Jesus. Give us the boldness to speak out, Lord, and not be afraid. Mm -hmm. And give us the willingness, Lord, to involve ourselves in the lives of people to a point where we have the opportunity and the right to speak into their lives, Lord. Let us love as you've loved. 
In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Janet. Yeah. Thank you. And Lord, we do just ask for anyone here too who, as she just mentioned, who may not know you, may not have prayed a prayer of calling upon your name, that they would do that today, that everyone in here would know you, that we would all know you and that we'd share you wherever we go and all that we do. Lord, I ask for that courage and boldness for every single one of us, courage and boldness, that we would not be afraid of any man, no fear of man inside of us, but that fear of the Lord, that hatred of evil, that love for you above everyone else. Lord, use us as your instruments, as your people, as your ambassadors. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.